Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to, what, get a little meta here and talk about how we come up with the ideas that we cover on this show. Now, Tiffany, this was your idea. Why why did you want to talk about this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um... It's funny. It's an idea about ideas. So I, we had planned to meet up tonight and I said, okay, let me brainstorm some ideas for episodes. And as I was trying to come up with something, I was like, how do you come up with ideas? You know, I kind of started just thinking about that as an idea of something we could talk about. But I actually was thinking not only about our ideas for this show, episodes for this show, but you know, we all, we are both writers and we have both written works of fiction published and unpublished and you know I thought we could talk about how we get our ideas for that as well and as well I mean one of the things that also made me think about it is I'm reading Frankenstein right now uh-huh and I don't know if you know the, the story behind Frankenstein yes I do but you can go ahead and tell it if you'd like well I mean you you actually might know more details about it than I do but I all I know is that Mary Shelley and her husband Percy Shelley and others had rented a house somewhere in the Italian countryside one summer, and it was just terrible weather the entire time, pouring rain, cold, as it rarely is in Italy in the summer. And they were, you know, stuck indoors, early 1800s, no electricity, no <laughs> no movies, no entertainment. And they started telling each other ghost stories at night to keep themselves occupied. And Mary Shelley came up with this idea of Frankenstein. So I'm reading it right now for the first time in my life, and the thought has occurred to me, where did she come up with this idea? Back so long ago as well, like who, you know, where did this idea come up, come from? And for that matter, where do all of the ideas that, that we see in books, stories, movies, TV shows, all around us, where do they come from? Podcast episodes, articles, because, you know, We've talked about, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, actually, but we've definitely talked about it together. I've sometimes said, I'm out of ideas, Yes. you know, after eight years of this show. And you're kind of like, I'm never out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, there's always something to talk about. So I wanted to ask you as well, like, where you get your ideas? Like, how do you have this unlimited font of ideas for four episodes and, you know, any kind of content? Well, I believe, and I could get this wrong, but I believe just going to Mary Shelley that... There was an interest at the time of scientifically about whether or not you could reanimate a dead corpse, I think. So she had either read or seen this idea in in person and must have spun out from there about what would happen if you did reanimate a corpse and it was a new being on the earth. What would be the human responsibility of that? I imagine is where she started. Must be, yeah. I've heard that story a little differently, that they challenged themselves to who could write the best ghost story during that boring period of time. She was the only one that actually finished the story that she was writing as a part of that challenge. They were also there with Lord Byron. That's beside the point. I mean, I had to write a list of where do I get my ideas, and the because the, the true answer is I get them everywhere. <laughs> You know, yeah, they're they're scattered about the whole earth. So, I mean, where to even begin? I, I was, I mean, one of the things I do is, oftentimes if I'm traveling about in the world, and I don't know if you do this too, but I often carry a notebook with me, or if not a notebook, the notes app on my phone, 
because as an idea strikes me, I try to write it down. And then sometimes you read it later and you think, well, what I, one, I don't know what I'm even talking about here sometimes. <laughs> yes, that's the worst. Yeah. Or two, you know, especially those ones you have in the middle of the night, like mm-hmm. when you wake up from a dream and you think this is going to be the greatest book I've ever written. And then when you look at the notes that you wrote in the dark, you're just like, what? This has no drama to it whatsoever. And not only that, it's terribly boring. Um, <laughs> But so, yeah, I at least try to capture them as they come. But I think the first place I start is often my own curiosity. And that kind of bigger question I know we've talked about is what do you want to do today? What do you want to learn about? What do you want to do with your life today? Because ultimately, these ideas are what you're doing with your own life, right? Whether you're writing it in a story or we're recording it for a podcast or I'm deciding somebody I want to talk to, it's ultimately what I'm doing with my day. Yeah. It's what you spend up spending lots of time, especially if you're writing a book. You Don't just write what you know. Write what you like because you are going to be spending a lot of time with it. This is going to be years of your life. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think I chase a question I'm trying to answer whether I know I'm trying to answer that question or not. Hmm. Like I think when it comes to this show, for instance, at its fundamental, I was trying to not just answer the question about how do I make it in Italy and how do I repatriate when I get home? How do I cope with all the emotional turmoil of this and the joys and triumphs and all that stuff? But (laughs) how do I change who I am as a person to become more bold in the world? I think that's ultimately the deeper question. And when people are always saying, well, are you going to move back overseas? Are you going to go do that again? Are you going to move back to Rome and stuff? And I think that I still have not convinced myself that I am the person who would do this, Mm -hmm. even though I have done it, if that makes sense. I'm bolder and I'm certainly different than I was when this show started, but I am still not the person who's selling it all and moving tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking to people who potentially are those people, but I haven't convinced myself that I'm that person yet. Yeah, fair (laughs) enough. Not everybody is. Yeah. Even if you have done it once, I can't even imagine doing it again. Even to go back to my home country. And, I've <laughs> and I, uh, I went very willingly, as you know. So, uh, so it, yeah, I totally get you. But let's talk about you. Like when it comes to, uh, let's say, a book that you're working on. And I don't know if you want to talk about the one you're currently working on or if you want to talk about the one you already did. But do you remember what the genesis of the idea is? Yes, for sure. For sure. With both of them. So the first, my published book, which is Midnight in the Piazza, if you haven't read it already. Go get a copy. Yeah, go pick it up. Um, <laughs> so Midnight in the Piazza was one of those, it was one of those books that like the seeds were planted long before I had any idea I was ever going to write a book. There were several seeds. There was the girl that I met, India, who I interviewed on a mini episode couple of years ago now, episode India. Mm-hmm. Um, she was 13 and living at the top floor of a building in Piazza Matei and had a view of the turtle fountain out her window when I met her. So that was a seed. Another seed was I went on a tour with a friend of mine when I first moved to Rome and really didn't know the city very well. And he explained the legend behind the turtle fountain, how supposedly it was built in a single night because of a bet and gambling and all of this. And then the third seed was when I read somewhere that in 1981, I believe, the turtles, I don't know if it was one or all of them, which were supposedly created by Bernini, were stolen. That was, I think, what finally did it. 
this could be a really good story. This is the making of a mystery here. Yeah, because what I, I love is the old and the new. I love the combination of, of modern, a modern person digging into the past. I love that in, in so many books that I read, especially if there's art involved. And so, yeah, so those were the three seeds that led to me writing that story. For the book that I'm working on now, Saving Caravaggio, actually, I'm not, I'm working on it, the sequel of that book. I'm hoping to get it published eventually, soon-ish. <laughs> Please, dear God. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, I say I'm working on it now. I'm actually not working on it. I'm working on its sequel. But a Saving Caravaggio, it was less of a, an individual moment and more of like, the more I got to know about Caravaggio, not just his art, but his personality and his life, this is, goes along with what you were saying. Like, I'm trying to solve a riddle here. I'm trying to figure something out, whether it's about me or whether it's about something outside of me. In this case, it's something outside of me, which is, how is it, how is it possible that someone who is so violent and so antisocial and so... had so many extreme, probably personality disorders and anger management problems and rage and disregard for others. Take someone like that and then look at the art that they create, which was so moving, so deep, so tender and compassionate and just captured the humanity, the raw and beautiful humanity in the dregs of society. How can you justify this? Like, how can this be the same person? And that question led to me writing this book, which is, of course, a work of total fiction. I mean, it's historical fiction. It's based on history. But it's, it's, a, it's a totally crazy answer to this question that is probably not the truth. accurate. Yeah. Since, <laughs> probably not true since it involves, like, paranormality and yes. you know stuff like that yes but that's really where that came from and it but it was whereas it's kind of two different things that midnight in the piazza it was these three various seeds that yes were sort of planted and then I just forgot about them until all of a sudden there was a there was a light bulb moment whereas the Caravaggio it was this slow percolation the more and more I got to know him the more and more I started this story this idea started to develop uh, and I remember having a conversation with a friend when we were at an exhibit, uh, a Caravaggio exhibit, years ago, years ago. And I was telling her this idea, and I had no idea where I was going with it. But I was like, I really want to write this book about Caravaggio. Da, da, da. And it was years, years and years ago before I started. So so that's me for my writing. Yeah, it's interesting. That kind of reminds me of, like, one of the things I'm working on writing I'm not going to share right now because <laughs> it's a good idea. I don't want anyone else to do it. I could totally see somebody else also thinking of this idea independently. So I'm not going to share it. Okay. But the other one that I've been working on is sort of very similar to you in the central question of who was Caravaggio. And it's in this one character that I'm writing that uh, when we were on our trip to Ketchikan, maybe I already talked about it, I'm not sure, but when we took the boat up to Alaska and we went to Ketchikan and we encountered some of their tourist district, which was pretty much all shut down because of the pandemic. But one of the things in the tourist district was a place called Dolly's House. And Dolly's House was a house of prostitution that is now a museum. There were big plaques about who Dolly was on the side. And there was this one great detail, and that was she saw clients into her 80s. As a prostitute herself or as the madam? It didn't say. It just said she saw clients into her 80s. Wow. And so I thought, well, there's a central question. 
don't you want to meet her yeah. at age 80? Yes. And meet who is showing up to see her? So that's where I started. Now, it also has this larger question is, how does a real person's real life turn into something that's tourist kitsch, which I'm also going to try to get into? That bigger question of how we rewrite our own history into these kitschy tourist attractions. But like, let's stay small for now because it's going to take some time. But it's again, that same central question. You you meet this character and you think, who is that person and how did that come to be? Mm. And then I'm going to invent it. It's funny, though, when we talk about books and we talk about ideas and generating ideas for this show or other NPR shows I've done in the past or what have you, is books actually are a big place to find ideas, in my opinion, like reading other authors. And I remember thinking once, this is way back um, when I was working for NPR, and I used to get these book catalogs every spring, fall, winter. You get these catalogs from the publishers and it's like, here's everything that's coming out let us know which books you're interested in so that maybe we can have our author on your show right we get these big huge listings of everything that was coming out and I remember looking I'd look at them over lunch checking off things that sounded moderately interesting or what have you and I would just be astounded at the breadth of what people would write about there would be concepts for books that I would never have even dreamed of. I mean, it could be as minute as like the history of what happens in your eyelashes. You know, (laughs) there were always like these insane things. And I would be like, somebody wrote an entire book about this. The only thing that's popping to mind right now is um, one that's actually coming out right now by Bill Hayes, who's a guest we've had on the show. He is coming out with a book right now that's about the history of sweat. Wow, that's specific. Now, I have not seen this book, but it fits in the category of who would have thought to write a book about this? But I thought, I remember thinking at that time, reading that and and because this question of like, where do I come up with the ideas is something I hear a lot. And I thought if all of these people can come up with a book about these minutiae, these little tiny things, how could you ever run out of ideas? There's got to be like an entire book in anything I see. And making a radio show is a lot easier than writing a book, you know? And so I just sort of started thinking about it that way. You know, not just what am I curious about, but, you know, there's an idea around every single corner and under every single leaf, you know, there's just ideas abound. I think you're right, but I think not everyone finds them as easily as you do. I think it's a gift. Well, I think it's a gift I'm that trained you had. To uh, you, also. Yeah, it's a skill and a gift. I think that... I'm the type of person who I will read something or see something and often see something in a museum. That's where I get my best ideas, really, is I famously say that every single idea I have had for anything I've ever written (laughs) comes from Rome. Rome is my font of ideas. So I'll often be in a museum or an archaeological site. I'll just hear a story or read some random inscription on, like, on a tomb or something, and... I'll just think, oh my God, that would be such a great idea. And I, and I remember when I was studying for my tour guide exam and I was going on these, we went twice a week, uh, every Saturday and every Sunday for like three months, we had to go on these visits. This is before Aurelio came along clearly on these visits to these different churches and archeological sites. And I had, I was taking copious notes constantly about the sites to try to like study for them. And I remember so often I would scribble down a story idea in the margins because something that I heard on the tour 
gave me this brilliant idea. And I'm like, I got to go back and look through that notebook to try to find those ideas because they're, you know, they're lost in there now. And I have no idea where they are. Yeah. I probably won't be able to even read the handwriting. And, you know, there's my million dollar idea down the drain. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like when it comes to fiction, my ideas are a little bit more plentiful when it comes to writing articles. I decided long ago, I, I can't be a freelance writer. I can't write freelance articles for a job, even though I'm a totally qualified writer, I can't come up with enough ideas for that kind of writing. I just can't. I follow lots of people on Twitter who are uh, freelance journalists here in Rome. Their ideas are so fresh and so up to the minute and something that everybody's talking about. Not that they're copying anyone else, but they got their finger on the pulse of the trends of the day and they just know what to write about. Mm -hmm. That is something that is beyond me. I'm stuck in the past. I can't come up with something actual to write about I'm like oh I want to write about Caravaggio it's funny that's so funny because I actually uh wrote in a notebook once that one of my biggest hang-ups and actually this is a note that I think my dad gave me at age 18 was if I was a better planner if I didn't as he put it I think in the thing he told me if you want to audition for the play realize that the audition is tomorrow or realize it a week prior, you know, don't realize it on the morning of that. You're like, oh, no, I have to be at that thing. And I think I do the same with certain ideas or articles in particular is I'll write the thing. Some of you have read, I read part of it on the show, the essay I wrote about the 200th anniversary of Keats's death and the death of my friend Susan looking at death from a long term, short term point of view, like when it's sudden or when it's languishing. Right. But what you don't know is that I didn't necessarily write that article to tie it to the 200th anniversary of Keats's death. I wrote that article and then was trying to figure out like what to do with it and then realized that it was almost the 200th anniversary of Keats's death. And then I was in this scramble to try to rewrite it, to tie it to that and to sell it right. to somebody with it less than a week to go. Oh my gosh. The idea came first and then I mean, I have your same problem. I, if I had any foresight, I would have been selling it six weeks prior to the death of the anniversary of his death. Right, of course. It's funny, too, when you were talking about seeing things in museums and writing it on the margins. I actually pulled up a picture on my phone that I took in Sitka, Alaska. When I was starting to think about this idea of kitsch, I found this plaque that was for a woman named Marietta Davis. I'm not going to read you the whole plaque, but I took a picture of it because of this last couple lines. It just said, Marietta embraced Sitka's social life. She and the other ladies planned weekly surprise parties in which about 50 Russian and American partygoers took a house by storm. Now that's part of her description. What a weird thing when you have this small of a paragraph, I'm holding it up so you can see it, about yourself. And that's one of the main details that's written. So then the imagination side of my brain goes, what if she hated doing that? Uh -huh. What if she hated throwing those parties? What if she didn't want that to be what she was known for? And then this is what ends up on her plaque. Oh, and I think that's just imagination. Yeah. And also just being able to turn something on its side, mm -hmm. you know, and not look at it straightforward and not accept something for face value, but say, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe it's totally different. Yeah. I don't know if anybody listens to or watches Masterclass, but... I did Neil Gaiman's masterclass and, you know, he said, if you, you know, if you think about, he talks about turning stories on their head, taking stories that everybody knows, 
and turning them upside down. And he's like, think about Snow White. You know, here she is. She's got extremely pale skin. She's got these red lips and she, she goes to sleep for, she goes into a coffin and, you know, maybe the stepmother was right. Maybe she was a vampire, you know? And he's like, look, look at things the other way. Don't just accept what you see. Don't just accept, you know, we know the story over and over again, Snow White. No, maybe Snow White was the bad person. How do you know? Our guest Robert Fulgham a couple of weeks ago said in that interview, what do we learn from the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Well, we might learn that wolves need to watch out for little girls. <laughs> because ultimately, who ends up dying in that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a different way of looking at it. I mean, that, okay, that's another way that you get a lot of ideas. Or I do, anyway, is talking to other people. Listening to Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Or you bring up an idea, like, I'm thinking about writing this book about kitsch. And then somebody says, oh, well, what if blah, blah, blah. And half those ideas you're going to throw out. Oh, for sure. But then every now and then one's going to resonate. And you're going to be like, you're right. That is a totally different way of looking at it that I didn't see before. Oh, I had my idea for Saving Caravaggio. I thought I had the whole idea for the book. I mean, I didn't have the particulars. But I thought I, I had it. I, had, I thought I had the main bit. And I was talking it over with Claudio. This is probably about two or three years ago now. And he said, well, what if, and I'm not really going to say it out here because the book's not finished. I mean, it's not published, let's say. Can you give us an inkling? Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has to do with what I was just saying. How, how, the, the crux of the story, how could someone so damaged and so, you know, so violent and so crude and have this depth to him, have this light to him amidst all the darkness? And he's like, well, what if it's this? And he's like, oh, no, no. Because I was thinking about writing it as a middle grade at that time. Uh, he's like, no, no. He's like, no, that's too dark. That's too dark for kids. Mm -hmm. But his idea was too good. It was so perfect that I used it. And that's when I decided as I started to write it, it's like, no, this is not a middle grade book. This is young adult. And now it works. You know, if I'm in for Claudio's idea, I don't know. I don't know, Katie, if I would have, if it would be the same book that it is now. Let's just say that. So absolutely, you get, you get ideas from people. I don't think anyone, even Shakespeare, even Shakespeare didn't have all of his own ideas. No. The story of, the story of Romeo and Juliet existed long before uh, Shakespeare started writing it. Yes. Um, and others as well. And I believe he added Mercutio and the nurse. But otherwise, it was a well-known story. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, who made it what it is? Shakespeare obviously made it what it is. Yep. And... The same can be too, true for certain fairy tales. There are certain writers who claim fairy tales. Like the Grimm's brothers claim Cinderella. So does Charles Perrault, who wrote, who wrote it, you know? Yep. Someone once must have said, there's no such thing as an original idea. It's all inspiration. Yes, yes. I remember a colleague that I worked with at NPR telling me that she was one of those people that had done great, brilliant work for a long time before I came on the scene. And, and you would say oh, I think I'm going to do a show about this. And she'll say, well, you know, we already did that. And I said, but when? 1985? <laughs> like, <laughs> can I still do it? I mean, it's been a while, right? <laughs> so we used to joke about like, yeah, yeah. You come new on the scene, there's always going to be somebody who can say, hey, we already did that. And then you have to say, well, yeah, but Shakespeare already did that. Like, <laughs> does that mean I can't rewrite Romeo and Juliet again? Well, yeah, and people have done it and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I, I mean, retellings is like its own genre and people love retellings i love retellings yeah i just saw in the bookstore yesterday there was a whole book of fairy tales that was gender swapped okay 
That's fun. So anything that happened to a girl and it was now a boy character. That should be fun. What I love most of all is a, is a retelling where you don't realize at first it's a retelling. Take Emma and put it in modern times, but changing it, making it different. And my favorite retelling in the world, which I think a lot of people don't know is a retelling, is uh, Bridget Jones's Diary, mm. which is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, um, interesting. It's a loose retelling. It doesn't follow it. Like you can't line it up and say this character is this character and that character is that character. But there are a lot of parallels that you will see if you are looking out for it. And I mean, I don't think it's a it's not a coincidence that she called, you know, the hero of the story, Mark Darcy. Mm, interesting. It's definitely a retelling. And, you know, she's got the embarrassing mother and she's got uh, the, the Wickham character, you know, the dastardly Cleaver, Daniel Cleaver. And uh, she makes a you know, total mess of her life and all sorts of things. But, uh, but I love that because it's not obvious. It's not in your face. Yes. The movie, the movie version of Romeo and Juliet that came out in the 90s by Baz Luhrmann, I believe. That was beautiful. Starring Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, what did they do at the end there? They have her wake up before Leonardo dies at the end and it changes the entire dynamic of that suicide at the end. Oh, it's been so long. I don't even remember. Anyway. But yes, I think that's the trick. It's like if you're going to be directly inspired by another story or another something else that someone else did, like put your own stamp on it. Yeah. For sure. Well, and of course, as we wrap it up, the other one I put on my list is listeners yeah because i over the course of my career i can't even tell you how many ideas i've gotten from listeners either them saying i'm curious about this thing and me thinking yeah i've never looked into that or you should cover this story or you should come talk to me about this crazy profession i have (laughs) or like you know i've heard i've gotten so many great ideas from people writing yeah. Those aren't my ideas. I just have to execute their idea, really, mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. We get, we, how many episodes have we done that were based on listener emails? So many. I know. A lot. Yeah. And some, sometimes they're our best. Yeah, totally. And some we haven't done yet because they require us to do some research <laughs> or find some guests that are more qualified to answer your question than us. But that is my way of saying, of course, is that, you know, in a way... If you write us, you are a producer of this show, mm-hmm. and we're pretty easy to reach. Yes, we are very easy to reach. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy to reach. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you can always write write to us, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com, or through the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. Or on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast, and we will pop up. So you can just write to us there. Yes. Well, great idea for talking about ideas. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Barks. Join us again. Bye. Bye. Support the show by wearing a Bittersweet Life t-shirt or socks or even a Bittersweet Life face mask. We have merch and you might find your new favorite mug by visiting thebittersweetlife.net. Click on support to explore the merch catalog. And have fun.